couple of things. Uh, first one is this. If you just love spreadsheets and numbers and things like that, we have a holiday Sunday coming up just for you. It is January 28th. We're having our business meeting, our annual business meeting that you are all welcome to come to. Whether you remember or not, if you want to Come and listen to us talk about stuff that's really boring. You can come and hang out. Uh, if you, even if you're not a member, we will give you uh, what's called a high line level budget. You can look at if you want to see that. If you are a member and you have questions about nitty gritty details about different things, uh, John's who's playing bass this morning. He's our board chair. And he says he's going to try and have a copy of the entire budget here today. If you want to ask questions or next week as well about that. Uh, but business meeting. So uh, Sunday the 28th at 1 p.m. We will not have child care because if you do bring your kids and they're really loud and noisy, maybe we'll be done faster. <laughs> but anyway, but no, I don't know if I'm really kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but we're not planning to have child care for it. So uh, if you want to, please feel free to come. Uh, we'd love to hear what's going on here. You can ask questions that you might have during that time as well. Uh, if you're new to Element, welcome. There are Bibles under the seat backs in front of you. If you don't own one, we'd love for you to have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. And on all the communion tables, we normally have sermon notes, but right now we have these booklets that we made. And these are in place of our normal sermon notes. And what we'd like you to do throughout the course of the next 16 weeks is this is it. So keep one, especially if you're planning to come back, because uh, we only have so many. No, we actually made a bunch of extra, but don't just think you can just, like, firewood. You know, that's not what we want. But... In here, there's a few things we want you to do in this. Uh, if you've never had daily devotional time with God, spending time like every morning or every night before you go to bed at some point, there are, there are 16 weeks of simple, simple daily devotions in here where it's just one verse and one question, then you just pray about that. And our goal is if you don't have a normal daily quiet time right now, that this would be a good way for you to be able to start that. And hopefully some point in your life you'll go deeper than one verse and one question every day, but it's a good way to start. Uh, if you do have a normal daily devotion with God, we ask that you do this one as well so you're on the same page of where we're at week by week. But that's in there. There's also family questions, gospel community questions, and it's all in this booklet. So we'd encourage you guys, if you don't have one, to grab one. Uh, they're, they're free. Again, you get what you pay for. <laughs> but they are free. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, if you have a smartphone, uh, you can also still download the Uversion app. And if you open Uversion and go to More and Then Events, what you'll get in the Uversion app is you'll get the gospel statements that we're going to, we'll talk about one of those today, that's in each of these weeks. You're going to get the verses and the announcements, as well as a link to a PDF download of that booklet, if you would want to do it that way. But that's what's in the Uversion, so there's not a lot. It's not like normal, so you're just getting those things. But th- that is in there if you want to just kind of have the verses to go on what we're going with today. it's oh, a lot, right? Okay, I guess not. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. Why don't you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And it says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Let's pray. Father, this morning we ask that you would teach us what it means to be a people who live in and trust the goodness that you have provided for us. That we would be a people who love the peace that you bring and give and that we would live in that peace. We understand the rescue and redemption that you have done of your people and that we begin to live that out in ways that bring peace and goodness to the world around us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so we are in our second week of this series called Didn't See That Coming. It's going to go all the way through Easter. 
Uh, if you have one of the booklets, you're going to, as Christy said, do pages 13 to 17 this week. 17 is where those devotions start, but there's things to read before that. And this is the story of the gospel throughout the scriptures. And the gospel is not just some catchphrase that maybe your favorite podcast host throws out at some point. In a Christian context, it means definitive news about the person and work of Jesus. The word gospel refers to an event uh, of good in nature where you would tell this good news about a certain thing. So when we refer to the gospel, we don't just mean that Jesus loves you, though that's true and that's part of the gospel. And we don't necessarily mean that Jesus saved us because that's the result of the gospel. What we mean is the story of how God rescued us and how he continues to rescue by his own work. And so last week we talked about how we're made in the image of God. And when I say the word we, I mean all of humanity. That includes the neighbor who doesn't water their lawn and now it's a dust bowl and all your property value went down. That person as well. It also means the person that doesn't know how to enter a roundabout or how to leave a roundabout or understand that yield doesn't mean stop in a roundabout. It means that guy as well. It means that co-worker, you feel like you're always carrying their load. It's that person that we're made in the image of God. And for us who understand the idea of rescue and redemption, it means we are God's representation of who He is to the world He has sent us out. And so we're giving each week one sentence short summations of these gospel statements that kind of come from the message. And so this was last week's. The gospel is the good news that in Jesus, God came to restore and renew humanity to what He meant for it to be. Image bearers who love and serve Him and others in humility. Now, in, in there, in your notes, we're asking you to rewrite that in your own words. If some gospel communities are doing that as a community together, rewriting it in their own words. Last week, our gospel community was getting together, and I was thinking, like, how do I rewrite this in my own words? And I thought, no, these are my own words. So, boom, I'm done. I'm good. I'm, all, I'm already there. So uh, each week when we, when we do uh, what we're going to talk about, we're going to kind of go where we need to go, but we're going to back up from it and work our way up to it. And today we're going to talk about how we have marred and scarred God's image in us. Last week we saw that God created everything. There's lots of debate to when. Was it 10,000 years, 10 billion years? There's debates on the mechanism of that. Was it micro changes or did God just bring everything out of nothingness? But the point of Genesis 1, as I told you, is not to fit into our scientific textbooks today. That's not how the Hebrews saw things would have written about things. It's to show who did it, God, and why God did it, because God is generous, and God loves to give and provide, and so God makes this functional creation. We call it a functional ontology. God creates this functional creation for us to live and be in. So open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. In Genesis 2, you have Moses now as the writer helping us to understand what is going on. So you're going to go from the macro lens of the heavens and the earth down to what life looks like for human beings upon that said earth. So we're going to a micro lens. Genesis chapter 2 verse 4 says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. And that's to show you the switch that's taking place. Heavens and earth, two, it switches around now, earth and the heavens. And Now, the focus of chapter 2 and 3 is going to be this contrast of God's vision for the world and what he intended in this, and then the world of our human experience, because it's different than you read in Genesis 1 and 2. The difference requires an explanation. So in this, you have to understand two different words. The first word is this word called shalom, and shalom is this Hebrew word 
for peace. And peace in this means everything in the right place, in the right space, in the right time, in the right way, in the right relationship, that everything is all right between you and God and you and others and you and creation, even you and yourself. It's all about God's favor and God's blessing. That's how the earth was created. That's how mankind was meant to live in shalom with God. The second word is this word called tov. Tov means good, and the word refers to everything that is good in the broadest sense. This would be art and music and beauty and all the things around us that are good. Now, who gets to call what's good and what's not good? God, right. So you're in church. 50% of the time you say, God, you're going to be right. So that's good. So how does the pristine shalom, tov, goodness, harmony that God makes between him and his creation, how does it come to what it is today? How are we supposed to understand the sometimes hostile workings of nature? If men and women are meant to procreate, why does having babies hurt? Like Bill Cosby once said, stretching your bottom lip over the back of your head. Why does it hurt so bad? If, if God created the human body, why does nakedness cause us shame and want to hide from one another? In essence, it's, it's how is the existence of evil supposed to be accounted for? So this is now what gets explained. Now, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version first, and then we'll talk about it. But the Cliff Notes version is Moses says it's not that the earth or the heavens are evil. It's not that it's meso- metaphysical. It's that it's moral. It's moral, and evil is humanly wrought. So God gives humanity these vestiges of free will, but that is only beneficial insofar as it is exercised within God's divine will for his people. Any abuse of the power that God gave mankind is going to inevitably lead to destruction and decay. We were meant to live in shalom and tov and peace and goodness and harmony, not evil and self-sufficiency, but we always tend to live in evil and self-sufficiency. So Genesis 2, verse 7, this is how it all kind of comes about. Then the Lord God formed the man uh, of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Some of your translations will say a living soul. Some say spirit. The actual Hebrew word there is actually spirit. In chapter 1, nothing is said about what God crafted man from. But when you get to chapter 2, you realize God made man from the dust of the earth. It is meant to be referencing that we should be a humble people, that we are made from the ground, from dust, but we also have God's breath breathed into us to bring us to life. And that elevates us. So there are these two things, this this great, amazing that God does in us, but also the humbleness that we were created in. Genesis 2, verse 8, and the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Now the word garden is where we get our word paradise from. And this is, the garden is actually in this region called Eden. It's not the garden of Eden. It's the garden in Eden. So if you really want to be one of those people one day, and people, the garden of Eden, you'd be like, no, it's the garden in Eden. So, you know, you can, you can be that guy. But in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now, in other ancient tales, like this tree of life, that takes center stage. How do I find the tree of life? I want eternal life. That's what I want to get. It's always man's greatest quest. But in the story of what God does, the central theme is man's relationship with God, and these trees kind of take a back seat. Go down to verse 15 in chapter 2. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden, of e- the garden of Eden to work and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. From the day you eat of it, you shall surely die. So this is the idea, when you disobey God, when you sin, you die. That's God's promise. That's what happens to people. And God's not like, oh, hey, you know, maybe there's a tree over there. Maybe you shouldn't eat of it. I don't know, but it wouldn't be a good idea. Okay. God's, God is very definitive. I'm God. You're not. Don't eat it. Don't t- 
you're, you're done. Don't do that. Now, these trees are kind of, kind of important. So the tree of life, it tells you that human beings were made mortal, not immortal. We have the capacity to die. One of the reasons we stay alive is faithful obedience to God who is life. The point is that God is the living God. If you separate yourself from who he is, we separate ourselves from the source of life. It's meant to say, man was made from perishable materials and is mortal. Now, whether this tree you think is metaphorical or not, the point is that man has within his grasp the possibility of immortality, of life with God, because that's what true eternal life is. It's life with God. You eat from the tree, trusting God, and you live. When they sin and they die in Genesis 3, they, they're kicked out of the garden, away from this tree, but eventually at the end of the book of Revelation, it's kind of cool, this tree makes a reappearance at the end of the book of Revelation. You also have this tree, the knowledge of good and evil. Good and evil, if you don't know this, are huge differences in perspective. Right? Good and evil, big differences. And so what you see here is this tree is the tree that's kind of man has always tried to find these things to keep himself. He doesn't have to have God in the midst of his life. I'm going to get a job. I'm going to make a lot of money. I don't have to think about God. I don't have to worry about the security that he brings because I'll have all my own money. I'm going to go get this education. I'm going to get educated beyond my intelligence. And I don't need God because I just know so much. Uh, I'm going to drink all the time or do drugs so I don't need God in my life. It sounds like kind of like a hip-hop song, right? I've got my money, got my education, got my drugs, got my... I don't know. Maybe not. And a lot of people, yeah, yeah, I know, white boys should not do this stuff. I'm really sorry. Okay, so some people are like, oh, so, so what's on this tree? Is this, this like an apple? What, what did they eat? That, that doesn't matter what kind of fruit was on the tree. It could have been anything in the world. It's that God said, don't do this. That's what's important in this. And the Genesis shows that wisdom and life is thinking in line with God and folly is thinking apart from him. Adam is daily given the opportunity to trust God, to choose wisdom or folly, life or death. Some people wrongly ask, well, why doesn't God want them to know good from evil? That's not what this is about. This is about innocence versus naivety. God doesn't want us naive. We can know what things are evil, but what God is saying is he wants us to be an innocent people that live in his goodness. Good and evil in Hebrew are these two words, tov, which is good. Evil is ra, so we see ra, it's like the evil, the good and the evil. God says there are some things that we just don't need to know. I know some people want to experience everything, but there's some things you just don't need to know. Like, uh, if you dated one person your entire life and only kissed that one person, and you got married to that person, and they're a bad kisser, how would you know? Right? You don't need to experience detox. You don't need to experience withdrawal symptoms. We don't need to experience a hangover to know it's bad. You don't have to experience an abortion. God says, you've got to trust my words for certain, certain things. It's like this. If I came and I set before you a glass of water and a glass of antifreeze, and I said, drink the water, don't drink the antifreeze. But if you, if you don't know what antifreeze looks like, antifreeze looks like Mountain Dew on crack. It's like, it is just the coolest looking thing. But like, I want to drink that. That looks amazing. I want the No, you want the water. But I want the antifreeze. No, you want the water. But the antifreeze, oh, look, you're an old person. I went to college. I know better than you. I want the antifreeze. What happens if you drink the antifreeze? And you die. God says, don't eat from the antifreeze tree. You're like, you're stupid. I don't know what I want. I want the antifreeze. It looks great. That's what I want. That's what I want to drink. God says, trust me. I know what you need. I made you. I made you. Trust me. Adam has a choice every single day to obey God. He has given everything he needs. And yet in the end, you will see how they still distrust God. Didn't see that coming. You see all these gifts that God gives. Uh, Genesis 2.18 says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. This is so true. 
Men are not okay on their own. When I met my wife, I had a mullet and MC hammer pants. I, I, I did. It was horrible. Some guys, when they're not married, they think pastel is a good color on a dude. It's not. Okay? Don't wear the pastel. Guys will walk around in t-shirts that say ding-dongs and think they're cool. Not so much. Not so much. So God says, I will make a helper fit for him. Now, the word for helper is this word easer, and it means a fitting helper, one that corresponds to Adam's humanity. You see some people who are like cat people or dog people. Animals don't correspond to our humanity. None of the animals created were like Adam. Nothing complemented his nature. Nothing connected and completed him like this woman would do. Guys, your buddies are not fitting helpers. It can be like, you need to do this. Okay, I'll do that. And you do that stupid thing. Like, Don't. Your buddies are not fitting helpers. It's God's intent that a man and a woman, men and women would correspond to one another, that they would love one another, that they would complete one another and help each other. So you have this word called fitting, right? Fitting. Fitting means if you love country music and you think rap came about one day when the devil had diarrhea, don't marry somebody into hip-hop. You guys are going to fight about it all the time. No, this radio station. No, this radio station. No, no. If you like Star Wars, marry somebody who likes to read articles about Comic-Con. That's, that's what you want. Fitting, fitting. And then helper, helper. Helper is not a term of denigration. Throughout the scriptures, the Holy Spirit is constantly referred to as our helper. Helper doesn't mean nagging or bossy. It means you learn how to function as a team doing life together. Like when I have decisions to make, you know who I run those by? My wife. I do. My wife. I believe that men should learn how to lead and love their families, but apart from the wives that God gives, it's near impossible to complete without them. I trust my wife more than anybody. And if it ever comes down to you and her, I choose her. I, I told the last two services this. If there's like some crazy Dr. Evil plan, and there's like a, like a bomb, and it's like either your wife dies or all those people at Element die, you just kiss your butt goodbye because you're going. Okay? <laughs> my wife survives. That's, that, I might feel guilty about it later but not bad enough to change my mind, because I'll do do it again, okay? So how God presents this to to Adam, this woman to him, is is really kind of cool. God gives Adam work to do, which is also a good thing. Men, memorize that. Women like guys who work, so get a job, work it. And he goes and he tends the garden. He takes care of the animal. He names the animals. And what you see is that Adam is a fully formed man. He's not a caveman, like a messing link with his finger in his ear going, I'm going to call that goat. I call that dog, cat. No, he's a fully formed man. And what you see is he's not naming every animal. It's all these different classifications. He's doing livestock, birds, and beasts. This goes back to what we talked about last week with dominion from Genesis chapter 1. In an ancient biblical perspective, naming is the process where Adam has taken responsibility for the creation that is God's, but God has placed under his care to steward. It's why some of you name your kids, right? You name your kids. Some of you are weird, you name your cars, but we don't want to talk about that. God God has him name all of these creatures so Adam will understand the vibrancy of this creation is meant to be underneath his domain, his care, before he ever brings the woman. So Adam's probably there going, okay, uh, wolf, female wolf, uh, goat, female goat. And he's probably just like, 
where's my corresponding part? All these things are corresponding partners. So he works real hard for the day. He goes and he takes a nap. Apparently it's biblical. Okay, So he's taking a nap. And while he's sleeping, God is going to make the woman out of something that he takes out of the man. Now, typically we say a rib, but the Hebrew wording is just out of Adam's side. And it's really meant to refer to that she is going to be his equal, his partner, his fitting helper. The literal word used for make here when God makes the woman is this word called built. And it's and it's this idea that, that here it's nowhere else used anywhere else in the scripture and so the the woman that god makes she is unique she is one of a kind made from his side to be part of him but also his equal in how they do things together god makes her he brings her to the man and what does the man do he sings to her you're once twice three times a lady and i love Oh, I'm dead serious. He does actually sing to her. The, the, the first recorded words of mankind in the Bible are actually a song. And it's sung from this man to this woman. Genesis uh, 2, verse 23. He sings this. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. The literal Hebrew rendering of this at last is this one at last, as opposed to all the other animals. Adam has found his right soulmate at last. Man and woman, both in the image of God, both with a purpose, both suitable to one another. Adam says he cannot separate his necessity for this woman. He cannot separate himself from that any more than he can separate his bones from his flesh and survive. That is bones of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And then what Adam does is he names her. He names her. And this is an ownership. Adam gives her a name that's related to his own name. So the, the word for woman is Isha. The word for man is Ish. So he calls her Isha, a name that's equal to his own name. This is Adam before God promising to forever take care of her, to love her. He gives her that equality with him in God's eyes. And what you see so far in this narrative is amazing. God gives them food, great weather, a garden that's like a paradise, lots of food to eat. He even gives them naked spouses. And I know that's more exciting for one than the other. But that's a good God. Okay, that is a good God. What does the couple do with God's goodness? They run in the exact opposite direction that God calls them to. Remember, God promises, you sin, you die. Romans 5 says, disobedience from God causes death. God made mankind free. In this garden, what could man and woman do? They could do anything. They are free to do anything except disobey Him. And that is still true today in our lives. So many people pray, God, what's your will for my life? I've got to find that one little thing, that one, and if I miss it, I'm going to miss out on everything. No! God's will for you is to honor and glorify Him, to live out the life and the beauty and the peace and the goodness of who He is and out in the world. What can you do? Anything. Anything. Just don't eat from the antifreeze tree. Just just trust Him in all things and don't run away from who He is. See, this has still been true all throughout the ages. The key to life, know what God has placed in front of us. Open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis 3, you get this new player introduced into the story. Uh, He is the tempter, the accuser, the serpent, and this is what leads to death. This leads to death. Genesis 3, the first people will violate this boundary that was set up for them, and they will die. What you will see is that death is not necessarily the stopping of our hearts, the synapse in our brain is not firing. Death is separation. Death is separation first and foremost from who God is. And then it's separation from life because we're separated from the source of life. And it's separation from one another and creation itself. People today will sometimes ask this question, well, they ate and they're supposed to die, but they didn't die. Well, they did. 
they did. And I'll show you what that actually looks like because this is much deeper and more profound than just... This is like huge spiritual death. This is how it happens. Uh, in Genesis 3, 6, this is right after the serpent shows up. And he's like, oh, you should eat from that. That will be great. You really want that. And so, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. Then it says she gave some to the man who was with her and, and he ate. So they ate because that is what pleased them. Because that is what they wanted to do. I want this thing and I will get it. The, the serpent, this third party in the garden, all he's doing is playing on man and woman's innermost desire to be their own God. This is why the man and woman are responsible for their own sin. All the serpent did in the garden was like, hey, you know what? God doesn't want you to eat that because you'll like it. That's why he doesn't want you to eat it. And you know what you really want, right? God doesn't want you to, to like these things. And so if you eat of this, you're going to be like him. You know, because you could be a god because you're already made in his image, right? So, so you may as well just go ahead and eat and that's what you want. He, he's not a good god. He's a mean god. You know all the things you really, really want. You know the things that you really need, the things that you so desire. And he says, don't. What's wrong with him? He's a horrible god. He should go get what you want. And that lie still goes today. How many people today are told, oh, well, the Bible's outdated. You don't need to listen to everything in there. Like, you don't have to listen to everything that God says, do you? No way. Come on, people. What? Really? Lie, cheat, shack up, do whatever you want, steal from your office. We live the lie every single day, and yet we call it the truth. This is what happened in the garden. Now, theologically at this point, Adam is the head of the human race. And when, because he sins, we are all born into this thing called sin. 1 Corinthians 15.22 says, For as in Adam, that's all of us, all die. The man was meant to lead and protect and speak of the goodness, the tov, the harmony, the peace that God had shown him, but he didn't. And now the ideal of shalom has been broken. All of creation now loses the innocence and freedom that comes from only knowing the good. And the next verse is kind of key because it shows what happened when they died, when they are separated from the good they were supposed to enjoy. Genesis 3, 7 says, Then both and then, uh, then the eyes of both were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, throughout the rest of the scriptures, any time nakedness is now mentioned, it's in regard to shame and exposing. You see that all the beauty of the innocence has now been destroyed because of what they have done. They're exposed. Their sin made them lose their innocence and their connection with God. They become separated. This is death. This is how they died. They're no longer going to know the beauty of innocence, of standing before God, the goodness that meant they can lay themselves before God and one another and feel no shame. All of that is gone now. They have lost the true life that comes from being in connection with God, the world around them, and one another. God even comes walking into the garden in the cool of the day at this moment, and what does what do they do? They run and hide. It's the first verse we started with. I had you guys stand. They run and hide from him as he walks in the garden in the cool of the day. This, they're dead. They're dead. And, and as I said, Adam is the head of the human race. This gets passed on to all of us. We are now born with this deep-rooted propensity in our lives to think the good that we want to define as good is better than what God's good that he calls us into. We think that we can live in such a way that we can figure it out, and yet we can't. The world's in disarray because man cannot know the good on his own apart from God leading us into it and showing us what it is. And to this day, sin runs rampant in our lives and in our world, and it causes us to be separated from each other and from our Creator and eventually our own flesh. That's sin. That's death. This is what we call the fall. Didn't see that coming, right? Can you even imagine at this point there being any good news to what's taking place? 
I mean, why wouldn't God just scrap it all and start over? Okay, that was 1.0. We'll go 2.0. This one's done. That's my beta. I'm going to go with the real one next time. Genesis 3.9 says this, But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? Now, does the creator of the entire universe have any problem finding naked people in a garden? No. No, where did I leave my rake or my shell? Naked people, if you don't know this, not hard to find. Okay, not hard to find. This is, uh, this is written more in like a, like a Hebrew trial kind of place. So God is really saying to them, where are you now? Where are you now? You weren't satisfied with the world that I placed you in. You weren't satisfied. You tried to create your own reality apart from me. You didn't like the hierarchy that I had set up. You went outside the boundaries you were created for. So where are you now? Are you pleased with this? And the answer is no, they're not pleased with it because they're running and they're hiding from one another. And now they will have strife with one another and strife with their children and strife everywhere they go. The truth is that man sinned and fell and we, and we pay the price ever since because we think we can do our lives better than what God calls us into. I've told you this multiple times. Sin is a lot of things. Sin is the disruption of shalom, the disruption of God's peace. We're created to have peace with God, each other, creation, even ourselves. And sin is all the ways that we disrupt that peace that God intends for us to have. We are a people who have violated God's peace. Sin is also rebellion. We don't like the way that God set things up, and so we rebel against God's order of things. We rebel against the world and the way that was made, and we should do it like this. This will make it better. And all we do is destroy it and ourselves in the process. Sin is participation in the way of death. What you see in Genesis, it's an active account. The, the garden, it wasn't perfect, it was good. And mankind, when God places them in it, is supposed to take it somewhere. He's supposed to go and create this culture that honors God and what it was and move everything somewhere. But he doesn't do that. What he does, he participates in the way of death. We still do this today. It could be individually in our lives. It could be in our family. Uh, even Nations even do this as, as entire nations. And there's a sin of nations as they go and they oppress other people. Sin is also missing the mark. It's an archery term where you're aiming at something and you miss what you're aiming at. So what's the good news in this? Where's, where's the gospel? God comes into the garden in the cool of the day. He gets man's attention, and the first person that he will speak to is this serpent about what is going to now happen. And so God tells us through what he says to the serpent. What's, he does address the man and the woman because the sin is theirs. They've they got to own that. But he does talk to the serpent first. And this is what he says, Genesis three 15. I'll put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring, plural, and her offspring, singular. Okay? This is like a child of the promise that's coming. And so what you see here is that we are in a war of, with Satan, sin, and death. It's not God versus the devil. That's not how it works. It's our enemy is Satan, sin, and death. It says, he shall bruise your head, this child of the promise who is coming. He shall bruise your head. The word bruise is the word shoof, and it means to crush and overwhelm. That Satan, sin, and death is going to be crushed and overwhelmed when Jesus comes. But in the meantime, and you shall bruise his heel. Now, it's the same word, shoop, that's used, but it's this idea that he's always striking and always hitting the place where Jesus just was, just that, that heel behind him like that. And so this is the understanding that now gets fleshed out through the rest of the scriptures as the gospel, that Jesus is going to come as a child of the promise to rescue and redeem what mankind had broken. Theologians will call this, Genesis 3.15, the proto-evangelion. I know it's a big word, but it means the first gospel the preaching of the first gospel. And who preaches it? Well, usually when you see God walking in the flesh in the Old Testament, it's Jesus. So what you see in this garden is that Jesus comes and promises himself to die and rise from the grave, take care of the mess that man created. Didn't see that coming. 
But that's the gospel. That's the good news. And I'd like to point out for you, before we move on to any more in the rest of this series, that Genesis 3, it introduces the idea that sin is rebellion and disruption and messing the mark and all of those things. But Genesis 3 is not how the story began. And Genesis 3 is not how the story is going to end. And that's good news. In terms of didn't see that coming, if we only talk about sin, we're not talking about all of the gospel because the story doesn't begin and end in Genesis chapter 3. The plot line is God's promise of redemption, of restoration, of renewal. This promise of sin being taken away is done after sin enters the world, but it's the promise of Jesus dying on the cross for us. The gospel is the story of the restoration of humanity. Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says this, For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile all to himself all things, and all things literally translates as all things, okay? So it's kind of cosmic in nature, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. People say, what's the point of the cross? The point of the cross was an act on God's part to bring reconciliation to all things. You sin, you die, our blood is tainted. Jesus, the perfect one, comes and dies because he himself was the only righteous one that could die and rise and pay for our sin. We went through Genesis 6 years ago, I told you this. If you start the story in Genesis 3, then the primary focus of the gospel is the removal of sins. And Christians make bumper stickers that say, Christians aren't perfect, we're just forgiven. It's like, bam, and it's done, and that's it, there's nothing more. Now, Jesus does forgive sins. That is very important in terms of the gospel. But if we start in Genesis 3 as the beginning, that's all that he does. But if you start the gospel in Genesis 1, where we did last week, then it's a story of the restoration of God's peace and God's goodness and us being God's image bearers again. It's restoration. If you start the story in Genesis 3, our posture towards people is making sure they know what they aren't. You're not good enough. You're not holy enough. You're not sanctified enough. You're not righteous enough, which is all true. You are horrible, and God is good. Okay, It's, 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 it's all true, but that's all that is if you start in chapter 3. If you start in chapter 1, you can tell people what they are, but also what they are meant to be. You're made in the image of God. You are a a son or a daughter of a heavenly father who loves you and longs to bring you home. That's what we get to talk about. Genesis 1, when God creates mankind, it says it was very good. And that means we're not an accident. We're made with purpose, dignity, and hope. Yes, we have rebelled against what God created us to be. We have all gone our own way. We have all put ourselves in the place of God. We've caused massive devastation. But God is inviting us to return home. And he has done everything possible to make that a reality for us. If you start the story in Genesis 3, the posture becomes, I've got to go up to strangers, I've got to give them tracts, I've got to convince them of how wretched and sinful they are, because if I can tell you how bad you are, I can tell you how good God is. Again, all of which is true. But if you start in Genesis 1 at the beginning, we also get to understand the beginning of the story and how we got to where we are and what the restoration actually looks like. If you start in Genesis 3, it's easy for the story to all be about somewhere else. And so people talk about raptures and fire insurance and heaven is away from this dump. And if you learn all the right things in one glad morning, you can fly away. All those things. It centers on God's redemptive activity being somewhere else. It always makes the point somewhere else. But if you start in Genesis 1, which is why we started there last week, it's about restoration and renewal and reconciliation with Jesus. It's about the gospel present today, here, and now. It's us being called to live on mission with and for Him, that we get to bring heaven to earth by being His people, by being a restored and renewed humanity. We actually begin to live life differently now, today, not just look for that one day over the rainbow over there. It's now, today, because we were intended for so much more. We are people overwhelmed with the idea of rescue and redemption. 
See, 2 Corinthians 5.21 puts it like this. For our sake, he, God, made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is what the scriptures are about. The glory of God, the redemption of man. More importantly, the revealing of Jesus. Because even though it means our salvation from death, it's still about him. It's all about him. God doesn't choose us to save us because we're so good. He does it because he himself is that good. 1 Corinthians 15.22, again, For as in Adam all die, that verse ends like this, So also in Christ shall all be made alive. That's the gospel. That's the good news. And this is my gospel statement for you guys this week based upon the message, okay? The gospel is the good news that Jesus himself has come into the brokenness humanity created. He died for what separated us from God, others, and life. He has promised to renew all things, including us. Now, I'm going to have you guys repeat that, okay? Again, pull your tinfoil hats. Here we go. All right. See, first and second service did a really good job today. Um, here we go. Okay, ready? Three, two, one. The gospel... That's the gospel. This is where this whole thing goes. I know you get to the end of Genesis chapter 3 and 4 and it looks really, really bleak. You read the rest of the book of Genesis and it still looks bleak. You read the rest of the Old Testament and it looks bleak. It, It does. But this is the idea that God comes and brings restoration himself. That we are people who constantly run away from him. And mankind, even to today, we do great damage to ourselves thinking we know the good better than the God, than the good that God provides. Man has essentially brought death and separation to a place that was supposed to be good and full of harmony and peace and life. We need to be a people who start learning to sacrifice our desires and learn to to live in God's desires for us. Because we will never truly live or lay down our lives and die to ourselves and gain the life that's found at the feet of Jesus until we understand the reality and the truth of the gospel. That we were meant to be these image bearers. That there is this restoration of hope and life and that God is good, and God has not left us to the faith that we ran after ourselves. God has brought us back in again. He has promised himself. He has made good on his promise to rescue us. The restoration of all things. Even in the book of Revelation, when people read these things, it says, and God made a new heaven and a new earth. Oh, look, the old one's going to pass away. The idea in that, in a Hebrew context, and the understanding, is restoration. The newness is God bringing about new life again into this creation that he has made. It's not, God called it good. He calls it good, he's not getting rid of it. He's going to renew it and restore it. And this is what he does with us. This is one of the reasons that we talk about communion each week. It's where you break that cracker like Christ's body was broken for us. You dip it in the wine of the grape juice, reminds of his blood that was shed for you and me. Why? Because he intends to bring us in and renew us and reconcile us to him. We get at this place to remember what God did to make us his image bearers again, that we would understand what this looks like. Restoration, renewal, hope. God speaking his good news over us because it is his good news. We get to be heralds of it. When we speak of the gospel, we are heralding God's good news of what he has done. And remember this deeply at communion. The band's going to come up. And as they do, there'll be people to pray with you in the back. If you're in a place today where you feel like you continue to mar and scar God's image in you and others around you, and you want someone to pray with you about that, they'd love to pray with you about that. 
if you're in a place where you, where you feel like everyone around you is just driving you crazy and how can I see God's image in other people, well, they'd love to pray with you about that. There's so many things that we go through in our lives and sometimes we simply forget the goodness and the grace that God has placed us into. And so I would say today, if you want and need someone to pray with you, they are there. They would love to talk to you about this. I don't think for the rest of my life, even though I talk about this stuff every single week with you, I will fully grasp and understand what this means. Because God's grace is so deep and profound. His love is so life-altering when we understand it that I don't think I will fully ever understand it. Because if I did, I wouldn't be the knucklehead I am every single day. But the idea is even in the midst of me doing the stupid stuff I do sometimes, it is that God continues to renew and reset and restore because he is the one who does the redeeming. And we are a people who simply lay ourselves at his feet and say, God, you do what you know you need to do in me because it is your good that I want to live in my life. And God brings his peace and his harmony and through the death and the resurrection of his son, I get to live in the peace of God again. And so do you. And then we as a people get to go and live out that peace to those around us. So let's be a people who live out the understanding of the gospel and speak it with our words and our actions. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I ask that you would take and remind us day by day of your goodness for us. That we would honor you with the words that we say, with the things that we do, and even the thoughts that we think that you would reset our minds to see and understand the goodness of who you are. And that all the times that we want to determine our own good, and in the end it's truly evil, that you would reset us and restore us and bring us back to the place where we stop running after the things that we say are okay. And simply submit ourselves to you. To live in the places that really bring us true and new life again. That we would understand that you are the one who brings true life. That eternal life means life with you. So lead us to the places today and this week and our understanding of the gospel that reset and remind us to renewal and restoration, that we would understand that our sin is bad and that you died and rose to pay for the penalty of our sin. But the goal is not just forgiveness of sins. It is restoration and hope and life and renewal. And we would again live as your image bearers in the renewal of what you bring. And we would speak and understand the goodness of the gospel. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.